But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe that in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord... We are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About other things, I will give direction when I come. This is the word of the Lord. Well, every, every Sunday we uh, gather here, and you've probably heard some of us refer to our times gathering together as a, a gathering for worship, word, and sacrament. Um, that's what we gather together for. We gather for worship, for word, and for sacrament. And what that means is that we, we gather um, to praise the Lord through our musical worship. That's an important part of every gathering. The church has always sang God's praises whenever they've met. Um, Secondly, we gather together for the word. We gather together to hear God speak to us through the word that is read and through the word that is preached. And thirdly, we gather together for celebrating the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We do that every week. And um, the church has been gathering for worship, word, and sacrament uh, for 2,000 years. People today, uh, all over the world, hundreds of millions of people are gathering on all corners of the earth uh, to sit under the word and, and to worship together and to receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Now, I would suggest 
that of those three things I've just mentioned, it's the Lord's Supper or uh, communion as it's often called. It's the Lord's Supper that probably uh, presents to us the most questions. We we probably uh, misunderstand the Lord's Supper much more than we would, say, worship or the word. And for example, there's lots of examples of this in church history, but for example, one that stands out is that in in Roman Catholicism, um, they actually teach that the bread and the wine become, uh, they, they become or they change into the actual body and blood of the Lord Jesus. Uh, they don't. That's, that's a misunderstanding. Um, many people misunderstand the Lord's Supper by thinking that somehow if they take it, it, will, uh, it has some spiritual power to remove or forgive or uh, weaken their sins in some way. It doesn't. That's a misunderstanding. Um, many... Many people in church think that very little of the Lord's Supper. They, they really don't look at it as any more than just empty symbols, that we're going through the motions. It's kind of a, a religious ritual, but it's fairly empty. It's just symbolic. It doesn't really matter. Well, that's a misunderstanding. Um, Jake was telling me the other day that his kids were asking him if they could have a little snack that everybody else gets to eat at the end of the gathering, and uh, it's not a snack. That's a misunderstanding. So what is the Lord's Supper? You know, if it's not a snack and it's, it's not a symbol, what, what is it? Well, I hope this morning as we look at 1 Corinthians 11 that we will, um, well, we'll, get, we'll deal with some of these misunderstandings. Uh, as we look at 1 Corinthians 11, what we want to see is why and how we should celebrate or we should participate in the Lord's Supper. And as we look particularly at these verses, uh, as it relates to the sermon series that we're in, here's what I would say. Is that we find comfort from the cross when we faithfully participate in the Lord's Supper. That's important. As we look at the text today, Paul wants to help us faithfully participate in the Lord's Supper. He wants us, his language is, he wants us to participate in the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. And by doing that, by faithfully participating in the Lord's Supper week in and week out, I tell you this morning, we will find comfort from the cross of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's where we're going. Uh, at the end of our gathering, we will celebrate together the Lord's Supper. So really think of this whole message this morning as a preparation for us to celebrate together as a church body uh, the Lord's Supper. Now before we jump in and look at the text that Jordan just read for us, can I ask you to please bow your heads and hearts with me in prayer. Father, we look to you. We thank you for loving us and giving us your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would lean in and listen and hear your voice addressing us, each of us this morning, about about how to take the Lord's Supper, this gift to us all, this gift to strengthen and nourish our faith, how to receive it into our lives in a way that would honor you 
and comfort us because of the cross of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, this is, in the Bible, by far and away, the most extensive portion of Scripture teaching on the Lord's Supper. That's a long passage that Jordan just read for us. And in verses 17 to 34, it's so long because Paul is addressing problems. Paul is addressing problems in the church in Corinth about the Lord's Supper. If you, if you read 1 Corinthians, this is a troubled church. I don't know why Paul just didn't come in and shut it down, but um, what a patient man. Um, Paul comes to this church and he teaches on the Lord's Supper um, and he gives us some very important things that continue to speak to the church even today, even to us here and now. Um, I would say this, if we are going to faithfully participate in the Lord's Supper or receive the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, we need a faith that looks in five different directions. There's my outline. Um, We need a faith that looks in five different directions. We need a faith that looks back. We need a faith that looks up. We need a faith that looks around. We need a faith that looks in. And finally, we need a faith that looks ahead. So that's, that's my outline. That's where we're going this morning. And uh, let's begin by looking at a faith that looks back. Every Sunday when we uh, prepare ourselves to receive the Lord's Supper, you are reminded that... The Lord's Supper is a way of remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us. We, we need to look back. Our faith needs to look back to remember very clearly, very concretely, that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He died on a cross. He was crucified on a cross over 2,000 years ago outside the wall of Jerusalem for us, for you and for me. He died for our sins. We need to remember that when we come to receive the Lord's Supper. We need to look back and remember the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. Look at verses 23 to 25. Here's what Paul writes. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That's the key point. We take the bread, we drink from the cup of the Lord in remembrance of Christ's body and blood. In remembrance of Christ's work on the cross where he physically gave his body up to be crucified. He physically shed his blood for us. Last week, Jake took us through um, Isaiah 53. That was an amazing message. And I wanted to return to it today, quite frankly, because I just didn't get enough out of it last week. I've been looking at it 
uh, here and there all week. And it's amazing to consider that Isaiah looked 700 years into his future before the cross ever happened. And here's what he said in verses 4 to 6. Speaking of Jesus, the suffering servant, he said, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is all about Jesus, but I hope you didn't miss the fact that this is all about about us too. We are right there with him. He is suffering for us. We need to remember that. We have this glorious occasion when we gather together as a body of believers, we have this glorious opportunity, this glorious occasion to come forward, to prepare ourselves, to, to look back and to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. You, you cannot come on a Sunday and not be clearly reminded of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You better be reminded of it from this pulpit, and you most certainly will be reminded of it when you receive the Lord's Supper. If I don't remind you of it from the pulpit, you have permission to throw your shoe at me. Not joking. I find it remarkable that God sent his son into the world to die the death that you and I deserve to die. Just let that hit you. Someone died for you. Someone died in your place. Someone died the death That we deserved to die. To bear the wrath of God, the just punishment of God against our sins, your sins and my sins. Jesus stepped in and took that punishment in our place. That should never fail to excite us. That should never fail to amaze us. That should never fail to just hit us with a sense of awe and wonder. That should move our hearts to worship. That's why we sing about the cross so much. What else do we have to worship about? This is what God has done for us. The Lord has laid on him The iniquity of us all. That's what we remember. I love what John Stott says. He says that in the death of Jesus, divine love triumphed over divine wrath through divine self-sacrifice. That's the gospel. That's what we remember in the Lord's Supper. We celebrate it every week. Why? Because the cross of Christ must define us we must define who we are we must understand who we are we must get our identity from the cross of christ remember what paul says in galatians 2 20 he says i have been crucified with christ the 
The cross is not peripheral. It must never be peripheral. It must be central. It is central to our faith. And it is, I would suggest, the inexhaustible source of all our comfort. It is. Consider, when you come forward to receive the Lord's Supper, consider that through the death of Jesus Christ, you and I are once and forever and always reconciled to God. Do you ever feel like some sort of orphan, you know, who's cast off and alone and without a hope in the world? That's a lie. That's a lie. Through the death of Christ, God is reconciling you to himself. So much so that in Romans 8, Paul says that nothing in heaven or on earth can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Because of the cross. Remember that. Because of the cross, because of the death of Jesus Christ. Consider this. All your guilt and your shame is removed. Oh, amen. All of it. How often do we, we suffer under just a weight of, of, of feeling dirty and guilty and unworthy and ashamed of ourselves? All of you, all the time, we all do. You're just like me, I know it. And we need to grab a hold of this glorious truth that we feed on every week, every day, I hope. And say that, no, that's a lie. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He took my guilt. He took my shame before God. I am forever received and loved in Christ by the Father. I could go on and on. How about this one? I love what Paul says, that in Christ, because of the cross, all of God's promises, all of God's promises are yes to you. All of them. Find a promise. God says yes. That is true. That is yes. That is amen to you because of the cross. The so, it is the source. The cross is the source of every comfort. Do not look anywhere else for your comfort. It will not last. It will fall short. It promises much, much more than it will ever deliver. Now, before I move on, I just want to clarify one thing. When I say that we look back and we remember, don't get the idea that we're remembering just some sort of historical event that happened. That's not what I mean. You know, it's like uh, July 20th, 1969, the the lunar landing or... um, June 6, 1944, D-Day invasion in Normandy. That's not what I'm talking about. This isn't a textbook. When we look back and we remember, we remember in faith. We remember in such a way that we we are spiritually partaking in the body and in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what remembering for us means. We're not just remembering a date and a time and a place, but we are remembering in a way by faith that we are spiritually partaking in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And where do I get that from? Why do I say that? I say that because of 1 Corinthians 10, 16. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, Paul is beginning to talk about the Lord's Supper in chapter 10, and here's what he says. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? 
the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? See, Paul here is talking about something that goes a lot deeper than mere remembering an event in history, right? The devil remembers. Atheists believe, they know, they understand. Any atheist that studied the issue, no one denies that Jesus died, that he, he lived and that he died on a cross. Everybody knows that. But this is a way of remembering that puts us there. That we get to enjoy presently the benefits of what he did for us. This is a remembering that allows us to participate in what he has done for us. The word used here, that participation word, is the word koinonia. It means to share in or have fellowship with Jesus in what he did for us. So when you come, it is not an empty symbol. We are, we are spiritually participating in the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a holy moment. Number two. We should look up. After we've looked back, This follows naturally. We need to look up. We need to look up. Look at verses 23 and 24. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And it says, when he had given thanks. This is remarkable to me. On the night when Jesus was betrayed... Jesus takes the bread and he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the cup. Uh, This is my blood in the new covenant, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus knows what's happening. Jesus knows that he's about to be handed over. Jesus knows that he's about to be arrested, falsely accused, falsely condemned, tortured, and crucified. And he's telling the disciples, he's telling us that the bread represents the body that is going to be crucified for us. The, the, the cup, the wine represents the blood that he is about to shed for us to seal the new covenant for us in. Now, what does he do? Knowing this, the weight of this must have been crushing down on him. And what does he do? He lifts his eyes unto his father and he gives thanks. Jesus gives thanks to God the Father for everything that's about to happen. Remember, we saw this morning in the call to worship, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. What a remarkable Savior. He went to the cross joyfully. He went to the cross giving thanks to God the Father. And we need to be a thankful people, a profoundly thankful people. In many church traditions, many Christian traditions, um, the Lord's Supper is referred to as the Eucharist. Sounds kind of weird and fancy, but really it's just the Greek word for thanksgiving. We are celebrating here every, every Sunday together this thanksgiving 
that God sent his son into the world to take our sin upon himself and die on a cross for once and for all to reconcile us to him. There's no salvation any other way. Christians should be the most thankful people on the planet. God did not spare his own beloved son, but he gave him up for us all. Thankfulness should just erupt out of us all the time for, for what God has given us in his son. Thirdly, not only should we look back, not only should we look up, but we should look around. This is very important. This is really the, 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 the main point, I suggest, of what Paul is dealing with as a problem in Corinth. There's this big problem. Look at verses 17 to 20. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. How would you like that? When we gather together, it's bad. It's worse than if we didn't. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. We'll preach on that another day. Great text. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat in and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Ouch! Paul does not pull any punches. Here's the thing. In the early church, the first Christians, there's no church buildings. There's no uh, Fifth Avenue cinemas to meet in. And so the church would meet in houses. And these houses were set up in a way that there would be sort of an inner room and an outer room with with kind of uh, doorways that would go to this larger outer room. And so you'd maybe get 10 or 12 people in the inner room, 30 people maybe in the, in the, in the outer room. And it, the, the church would, because they would meet together in these homes, they would often have a meal. They would have a feast together in addition to observing the Lord's Supper. And what happened is that there's many social conventions, many proper ways, many social customs and conventions that people observed in the ancient Roman world, the sort of etiquette around eating. There's certain things you do if you're this sort of social class, and there's certain things you don't do if you're of this social class, and that was finding its way into the church. In short, there was probably wealthy people in the church um, who were enjoying privileges maybe by getting the best food and getting the best table, get the best seat at the table. Um, they were enjoying privileges that poorer people weren't. Maybe the, the poorer people came a little later and they kind of had to you know, sit far away and by that time all the good stuff was gone. I don't know. Paul is addressing a problem here. And the problem is that the way that they were eating together um, meant that they, when they observed the Lord's Supper, because there was these divisions, they weren't really even observing the Lord's Supper, Paul says. 
You think you're taking the Lord's Supper? You're not taking the Lord's Supper. Why? Because there are these divisions among you. That's what Paul is saying. And this is the issue. They fail to look around. And the unity of the church was undermined and threatened and challenged. Now, here's the, here's the point that we need to take away from this text this morning because I doubt we're going to have the exact same problem that the Corinthians did. But the problem, the thing that we need to remember is that there, there are no second-class Christians. There are no second-class Christians in the church. Whether we're male or female, or rich or poor, ignorant or educated, red and yellow, black and white, all of us, without exception, are precious in the sight of God our Father. That's something we need to know when we come. There are no second-class Christians. I don't care if you've been a believer for 48 years or you've been a believer for four days. You're in Christ. You're a brother. You're a sister. We are united in him. We are one in him. We are one body united by one spirit under one Lord. Amen. And anything, and I mean anything that threatens the unity of the church, the unity that we have in Christ, the unity that we have with one another is toxic and dangerous. Paul says in verse 22, that divisions, he calls, is despising the church of God. Now, in our day, perhaps, perhaps nothing damages the unity of the local church Uh, quite like this sort of self-obsessed, autonomous individualism. Individualism is in the air that we breathe in our culture. And and the belief of of individualism is really that um, personal preference and self-expression are everything. They trump everything. Personal preference and self-expression, that's what it's all about. And, and quite frankly, we, we've got to die to that. God's people cannot be about this sort of self-absorbed, autonomous individualism. Because it deeply contradicts and undermines the unity of the spirit that we have in Christ. So we need to die to it. We need to check it out the door. Don't pick it up when you go out. We need to resist the me-first mindset of individualism. How do we do that? We look around. That's what Paul is saying. We look around. We need to, to look around and recognize that you're not merely coming to the table on your own. You're coming as a member of the body. You're coming as one of a body of believers. We've got to recognize, we've got to look around and recognize our place in the church. This is so important. We need to look around and treasure others for whom Christ died. We need to look around and appreciate our brothers and sisters in the body. Unity is so important. We need to, as Paul says in Ephesians, maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of our peace. We can't ignore each other. 
We must be aware of each other. Fourthly, we should look in. So we've looked back, we've looked up, we've looked around. Now we look in. Verses 27 to 32. Paul says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So there's two things here I want to highlight. In verse 28, it says, let a person examine himself. That's looking in. And in verse 31, he says, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. It's not enough that we merely look around and appreciate the fact that we are members of a body, of the body of Christ. But here's what he's saying. We need to look in. We need to look in and examine our hearts. Now, some of you, this is very uncomfortable. But we need to do it. We need to examine our hearts. Because Paul's concern throughout this whole passage is that we partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. And in order to partake of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, we need to look inward... We need to look in our hearts and we need to engage in some honest self-examination. And the Corinthian believers weren't doing that. They were not looking in and realizing what was going on. They weren't self-aware enough. They didn't respect each other enough. They didn't have regard for each other enough. They were shaming those who had less or you know, were of a different social class. And Paul says in verse 30, and that is why many of you are weak and ill and some of you have even died. Wow. Now, before you freak out, (laughs) uh, we can't go from this verse. It does not mean that every illness in the church and God forbid every death in the church, you know, is somehow connected to something he or she did. You know, you can't draw a line from this sin to that problem. It's not that easy. The Bible is not like a, you know, a paint-by-numbers thing. But, but this text is here. We can't blow it off. We do need to pay attention to it. He is, Paul is saying what he is saying because they didn't take the time to examine themselves soberly and honestly. There's problems here. There's sick people in the church. Some people have even died. They're, they're, they're receiving the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner is bringing judgment upon the church. That's what Paul is saying. And, and we should look at a text like this and not freak out, but we should be sobered by it. We should be sobered. But remember, look, uh, in, in Acts 5, do you remember what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? They lied and God killed them. It's there. It's in the Bible. We, we need to listen to these examples. We need to see these warnings and heed them and be sobered by them. 
We live in this, this kind of casual, airy-fairy culture where, you know, there's nothing sacred anymore. Well, I think what Paul is saying, to properly use the word, this is sacred. This is serious. This is sober. Now, Paul points out in verse 32 that the judgment that he's talking about doesn't mean that these people have lost their salvation. He says that when you are judged by the Lord, when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we are not condemned along with the world. God's discipline is serious. Paul says that there's illnesses and there's deaths in the church, and that's a sign of God's discipline upon them because they're not, they're not soberly examining themselves. So what's the big question? What are we looking for as we look in? That's the question we need to answer, right? You know, I look inside, and it gets kind of scary in there. You know, what am I looking for, Lord? Tell me. Well, look at verse 29. Here's the problem. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So that's the question. What does it mean? How do we look in in such a way that we're discerning the body? That sounds more like looking around. Well, here's what I think it means. It's quite simple. Are we living in love toward one another? Are we living in love? What's your heart attitude towards the other people that gather with you on Sunday? The people that we call our brothers and sisters in Christ. What's our attitude toward one another? That's what Paul's getting at here. And are we discerning the unity of the spirit in, in, in the work of Christ that we have with one another? Do we think of ourselves as beloved brothers and sisters in Christ? Or do we have two you know, do we have some attitude problems? You know, do, do we have unforgiveness for others in the church? Do we feel superior to others in the church? Do we um, have a quarrel or some ongoing problem that we don't care about resolving? Maybe some of us are just indifferent. We don't care if people come or people go or what's going on in their lives. We're just indifferent. This isn't love. Or do we envy others? Are we angry with others? Are we jealous of others? These are the sorts of things that, that we need to drill down on and get rid of, to repent of. And this is how we discern the body. Are we one body, united in Christ, filled with his spirit? Jesus says, love one another. That's, that's not a suggestion. That's a command. He died to make that happen in our lives. Is that, what, is that how we're living our life together? Paul wants us to observe the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. And that means with a clear conscience. That means with a sincere faith. And that means with a pure love. That's the goal here. So fifth and finally, we should look ahead. Look at verse 26. Paul says, As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we began by looking back at Jesus' death. And we end by looking ahead to Jesus coming, to his return. 
Specifically, when we eat the bread and we drink from the cup of the Lord, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Now, the Lord's Supper is a sermon in symbols. When we come down, we're not individuals just taking the Lord's Supper and going back to our seats. We're preaching. I do this every Sunday. I stand here, and you'll notice I'm not trying to be a nosy parker, but I like to look over the room. Nothing fills my heart with with greater faith to see brothers and sisters in Christ coming down and feeding their hearts, nourishing their faith on the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that is given for them. We're preaching. You're preaching to me. Take time to listen. Take time to hear what God is saying to you as you watch your brothers and sisters in Christ come down and receive the elements. And we're preaching this message. The church will preach this message by observing the Lord's Supper until he comes. Matthew twenty six twenty nine. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is just a foretaste, brothers and sisters. This this Lord's Supper is a foretaste of a much greater feast that awaits us, that Jesus now is preparing for us. The foretaste is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus is coming again. Jesus on the last and final day, will step over the horizon of history and appear to us in all of his glory. I hope this looms large for you. The older I get, the more, the more that the coming of Christ, it just gets bigger and brighter and I anticipate, I long for it. We need to be a people who are living and longing for and looking to that day. This isn't about all looking in the past to what Jesus has done and how he bore our sin in his body on the tree. We're looking to a Savior that is risen, that is reigning, that is returning, who will judge this world. And because of the cross, we will not hear God's judgment of guilty. We will hear God's judgment of well done. My good and my faithful child, enter into the fullness of the kingdom. Do we not long for that day when every tear will be wiped away? Sin and death will be no more. And we will look upon the face of glory in the person of Jesus Christ. We will know him as we have been known by him. Faith will give away and we will see. That's what we're we're remembering this morning as we come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace to each one of us. Help us to have this this faith that looks back and looks up and looks around and looks in and looks ahead as we prepare ourselves even now to receive the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, the communion meal together. Lord, feed and nourish our hearts and our faith this morning as we receive the gift of your son in the elements. We pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.